90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hello, Shannon. How are you? Oh, finally back at camp. It's been a busy week. <laughs> yeah, you guys put a lot of miles on the road this week. Uh, boy, we did. Uh, it was totally worth it. It was a super trip. Um, we took off from here. We went to Rocky Mountain National Park, and that was beautiful. And as you know, because you've been there before, I know, um, Rocky Mountain National Park is all this awesome glacial landscape stuff. So we were super busy doing that. We went to uh, Teton National Park, Yellowstone, but we'll talk about all that uh, here in a little bit, I'm sure. It was, I'm glad to be back at home away from home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet. And how did the students enjoy their mapping projects? (laughs) Well, you know, they just wanted to have fun. So they were actually pretty upset that we made them work, but it is a credit class, so... They had to do some working. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tough. That's all I have to say. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. The sympathy level goes down over the course of field camp. Man, it does. Um, as anyone that does field work for an extended period of time knows, yeah, it, this is week six, and uh, I hit my breaking point yesterday. I'm done. Ready to go. I think everybody <laughs> else is ready to go. We got two more days left at camp, so whew, almost through it. Yeah, and just as you're getting ready to head back, I'm actually going to be hitting the road to drive from Pennsylvania to Arkansas and then down into Texas and then oh. all the way back to Pennsylvania. Uh, wow. So that's uh you're going to put a lot of miles on the car then. I understand that feeling. <laughs> yes, I am and it it'll be a long trip, but it'll be a lot of fun. I do it every year as this to a computing conference that's in austin the scientific python conference oh. and then I, I i roll it in with a, a trip home as well so it's a lot of fun well that's a nice uh nice way to go home and then still uh write it off on your taxes right <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> um so what else has been going on well you know that's really been the big thing is preparing to leave and doing all of this uh, getting ready to present my model there, but I was a little concerned because I saw that Interstate 35, which everybody knows is the main way you get from Oklahoma down into Texas, had some problems this week, thanks to Tropical Storm Bill. Oh, Bill. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I got some incredible videos and photos last week. Um, Davis, Oklahoma, which is in... You know, the south-central part of Oklahoma got 13 inches of rain overnight from Bill, and it caused one of my favorite sedimentations, a landslide. Yeah, so a lot of rock piled onto the interstate and closed it down. They had to reroute traffic around, uh, significant delays. It was an incredible volume. And then also Turner Falls, which is right there, had to deal with all of that water. And it's normally a very active waterfall anyway. They said there's a, quite a bit of damage to the park, probably some of it permanent. Yeah, there's um, Turner Falls in Davis, Oklahoma. If you haven't been there, it's quite excellent. Um, it's when in the Arbuckle Mountains, yes, so our mountain range in Oklahoma. And it's this travertine everywhere, and it's quite delicate looking, and it has an amazing amount of travertine that's been deposited, both coming up out of the pool 
and you know down along the falls itself so i haven't been back to see it yet obviously but i bet with that much water 13 inches of rain overnight that there was some significant damage so that'll be really interesting to see and to see what the landslide what the scarp that's left behind from that landslide looks like because i mean not just university of oklahoma but many other um, geology schools in the area go to the arbuckles to look at the amazing arbuckle anticline and the stratigraphy so i wonder what the damage looks like yeah it'll be uh, pretty interesting to see i will get to drive by it on my way as well so i'm sure i'll pull over and run out with my camera like, like a geology nerd. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I'm definitely going to want those photos. Um, as you mentioned when we were talking before we started recording the show, um, I'm teaching a class in the fall called Catastrophic Sedimentation, and I'm guessing this is going to be a really good lead-in <laughs> to <laughs> we don't have a lot of that sort of deposit around Oklahoma, so it's kind of kind of a cool news story as to why, you know, us talking about large amounts of land moving can affect society not just in the geologic record but today because 35 is the main artery to dallas people commute to dallas every day along that way so it's caused a lot of problems yeah though if you call that sedimentation i think you have to put it in quotes <laughs> well it's catastrophic sedimentation <laughs> and we can argue about what catastrophic means all day long but <laughs> yes, we probably could. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much we couldn't argue about all day long, I think. <laughs> it's true. But I've done a, a few other fun tech things getting ready to go. I actually had written up a little bit on the 3D magnetometer, the 3D compass that I presented at AGU that we've talked about. And that actually got featured on Hackaday. So that was really cool. That uh, is got super a lot of neat. Great comments on that. And a lot of views of my AGU talk, probably in order of magnitude, maybe two more people than are in the AGU section have actually <laughs> viewed the talk online now. Uh, that's super cool. Um, I'm, I actually sort of want to nerd out and build one myself after looking at your talk and reading that article now. It's a really neat looking thing. It, it was a lot of fun. And so many people sent emails or comments uh, that said, hey, that's really cool. You know, here's this other really cool thing I'm working on. So oh, there's no. a lot of people doing this. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, I don't need any more projects. I, that's exactly. So now you're distracted. See, this is why I just walk around outside all day with no no reception or anything. And I can't get emails. And it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing I, I, I mentioned before the show to you, I said that uh, I was very, very, very weak. You have a confession to make, my son. Please continue. I I ordered an Apple Watch. <laughs> I said I wouldn't. I said I was going to wait for the second generation, but I should have known that wasn't true when I look around and I see a first generation of every single Apple product sitting in my house. <laughs> iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, everything. Oh, I, you know, your penance is going to be high for this because... <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention the fact I'm going to mock you mercilessly, but... <laughs> I, I knew you would. <laughs> I should make you, like, I don't know, try to fix my Windows computer as punishment or something. <laughs> it has to be something possible. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh! Let's hope this isn't like the Evernote debacle, you know, where you buy that stylus and then a week later something awesome comes out. Yeah, yeah, we have to we have to hope that. And actually, that's something that I want to revisit in the future is note-taking, because I do have some updates on that. Oh! <laughs> but 
I want to hear about your field trip because I saw some of the pictures you were putting on Twitter and they looked amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, as an aside, this has to do with the field trip and the note-taking. So I bought those field notes, notebooks, after our note-taking episode, right? And I got the dot paper. And so that's sort of mm-hmm. what they're known for is the dot paper, right? And uh, two students in my car were wanting to play the dot game. So that's that game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where you make all like the dot grid and you know every person puts a line and when you make a box you get to put your initial in the box <laughs> they played on just one page of the field note notebook i handed it to him they played for three and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> so wow. not only are they good for note taking i got my whole entire van to just shut up and be quiet because they were playing this dot game <laughs> So. Well, and this also goes to show you that the show doesn't only cost you money when we recommend <laughs> things and you go and buy them. It costs us money, too, because we end up going to buy them ourselves. Oh, exactly. I have so many of those notes. They're so great. Um, but I didn't even think about using them for that. It was brilliant. Three and a half hours. Um, so it was a lot of traveling. But it was totally worth it. We started out in Rocky Mountain National Park, and we did some really cool exercises because being in Oklahoma, we don't really get to see a lot of glacial landscapes. And you hear about it in intro class, right? But you never really follow up on it. I know you've taken some really cool glacial classes up in Penn State, though. Right. So you've furthered your glacial education. But so our students, what we did was a lot of just stopping at the pullouts on Rocky Mountain National Park, and we had topo maps. And you could map, like, glacial moraines. You could map both, like, lateral moraines and end moraines because you can see them. They form these big hills, so topographically higher areas. And you can see recessional moraines. So you can see in some of the valleys. It's super neat. You can see, you know, as far as the glacier's gone back and then as it continued to retreat and then stop and it would dump out its sediment. And you can see just these layers of moraines all the way back. And the students got to see the stuff that, they've never been exposed to before. And I think it might've been their favorite day of the trip just because it was such an awesome landscape to be in. Yeah. Glacial landscapes are really beautiful and they are just an open book in terms of reading the geology. It's a lot of fun. It it really is. And so since they're so young, you know, everything's pretty fresh and you could see all these, you know, cirques. So the big lakes, um, Rocky Mountain National Park, if you haven't been there, there's a, you know, a road that goes through it from uh, Grand Lake to Estes Park. And there at the top, there's a really great overlook where you can just see everywhere. And my favorite glacial sort of thing that they got to see were Paternoster Lakes. So Paternoster means our father. And what it is, is these little lakes that are connected through the mountains. They're carved out by glaciers and they're connected by little streams. And so from above and on a topo map, they look like a rosary like rosary beads connected. And it was really cool. Yeah, so it was really cool to be able to see that because you get up above, it's about 12,500, I think, feet at the top. And so you can look down and you see all these little lakes connected by streams and they look like rosary beads curled up. So that was a really cool feature they got to map. Well, one thing I don't, did you guys stay in the park when you were there? Uh, We stayed right outside of the park um, in Grand Lake itself. There's the Arapaho National Forest, and once again, public lands, my favorite thing on earth. And um, they got to camp there, and uh, we actually, (laughs) the director of our school has a cabin there, so we stayed in the cabin. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Yes, I remember, in fact, when you said Moraine, it triggered this. I believe that 
I had a reservation once when I was there for Moraine Lake Campground. And it turns out there's one in the park and one all the way on the other side of the park that is just outside the park and privately owned. And I ended up at the wrong one. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you really got it. You really got to double check that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. If there's like one glacial feature, you know, everything is named after it. So. <laughs> so you went to Rocky Mountain and did all this cool mapping of the moraines. And then where'd you exactly. go next? So then we took off um, north into Wyoming. And we got a hotel night, so the students were super excited about not camping for that one night. <laughs> um, and then we went to uh, Sheep Mountain. So Sheep Mountain is this really big anticline. It's pretty much in every single structural textbook there is. I know we talked about it before, but this doubly plunging anticline, it's beautiful. It's classic. Um, so we went there. We actually... We walked down these railroad tracks to go up this canyon to do this mapping project, and we actually had to abort the whole thing because if you stood still, your entire body would become covered with mosquitoes. Wow. It was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> like, utterly disgusting. I have never seen so many mosquitoes in my life. So, yeah, and I've never known you to abort a mapping project. <laughs> exactly. Of bugs. Um, <laughs> the weather was a little not cooperative that day, and so you know it was. There's a lot of dirt roads, and actually, <laughs> you'll know this from storm chasing. Um, a lot of the roads are not only dirt, but they're bentonite, and so mm -hmm. <laughs> bentonite, when it gets wet, <laughs> becomes what a storm chasers would call gumbo, and you don't want to drive in gumbo. <laughs> No, it's basically <laughs> like driving in thick glue. Uh, yes, it is awful, awful. And so for safety's sake, it had been raining a little bit and it looked like it was going to rain. And uh, so we decided not to risk the gumbo, <laughs> which was a good call. So, um, yeah, it was kind of an, an aborted day, but at least the students got to see Sheep Mountain. And we camped out at a great KOA that night. Um, and so... Great time there. Guy cooked us all dinner, so it was a homemade dinner. It was really fun. Um, and from there, we went on to Yellowstone. Ah, uh, Yellowstone. <laughs> exactly. Um, it was, we had seven cars in our caravan. So anyone that remembers these school geology field trips or is teaching geology right now and has ever been to Yellowstone, there are a lot of tourists in Yellowstone. It's hard hard to keep seven <laughs> cars together so it was actually an awful day <laughs> well, yeah especially when those cars are you know those huge 15 passenger vans that will oh. barely fit anywhere anyway <laughs> much less the narrow roads and pullouts exactly and the tiny parking lots where there are nine thousand tourists everywhere um <laughs> yeah and yellowstone is a huge park i mean it's massive you don't really you're like, yeah, we'll go see this, this, and this. And then you realize it's 30, 40 miles in between each attraction that you're going to try to see. So it was quite the cluster of a day. Um, we did get to see some good stuff. Uh, the Yellowstone Falls and the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. Um, the students got to see. We got to see some of, the, some of the geysers. There was a lot of work actually going on in the park. So a lot of the geyser trails were closed. So that was unfortunate, too, because it took us 35 minutes to park. <laughs> <laughs> and then we walk 10 minutes away and find out all the trails are closed. Um, but that's how it goes. Um, and then the best part, actually. So 
it's getting late. We need to get to our campsite, which is in Grand Teton National Park. And we're like, okay, we'll just stop off at Old Faithful. This is what everybody wants to see. And it turns out we walked up and Old Faithful started going five minutes after we walked up there. Wow, that was good timing. Uh, except for me, because I said, ah, this thing's always late. I'm going to go run to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and I missed the entire, entire eruption. <laughs> and oh I know my. there's a lot of bathroom jokes in there, but I'll mm-hmm. just leave it at that. <laughs> so I missed it, but all the students got to see it. So that wound up being a success. Very nice. So then you went to the Tetons. Right. And so we camped in the Tetons, which was amazing. Um, and anyone who knows me knows that I'm sort of obsessed with bears in both a good and a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I ask the rangers, we pull in, I'm like, so are there any bears in this campsite? And he goes, oh, yeah, loads. <laughs> <laughs> So the first night, I just stayed awake, scared to death, and (laughs) the next day, we went out, and we looked at the geology of the Tetons. I mean, the Tetons are really unique, geologically speaking. Um, I mean, the park is beautiful. It's one of the best visitor centers of any national park I've ever been in, and that's a lot. (laughs) So it's quite good if you've never been there. Um, But so these Tetons are sort of the result of Cenozoic basin range extension and they're really sharp they're still rising and they're kind of they're got a fault scarp in front of them right in front of them and this fault when it goes which is about every 500 years or so it's usually a really large earthquake like magnitude seven or eight earthquake and it puts about 10 feet of throw on that teton fault right in front of it and you can see the scarp itself just standing in front of the Tetons. So the Tetons are these huge, bulking mountains. Uh, There's no foothills, and they rise sharply from the plains, and they're breathtaking. Right, and we will have links to some photos of all this if you're not not following Shannon on Twitter or the show on Twitter. But we'll have some links in the show notes as well. Um, And I'll have some of um, the students' pictures and my own pictures posted up on the OU Field Camp blog, which is ofieldcamp.wordpress.com. So they can go there and look at them too because they were just spectacular. Um, the only bear we saw, we saw one little bear walking along and I got a picture of his butt because it seems like that's the only thing you can get a picture of of a bear as they're walking <laughs> away from you. Um, so we saw him, um, but the campsites were really great. Um, using the website to reserve the campsites worked out super well. I highly encourage anyone especially if you have a group of students to go there because the group campsites were quite large. So we could spread out like we were basically camping by ourselves anyway. They were so big and it was great food, great campsite, great geology. It was a really spectacular place to go. Wow. And so did you drive all the way back down in just one shot? Well, that was the original plan, but um, about halfway through the trip, we decided that that was going to be too long of a day. Um, So we only have a limited number of drivers, and we were all pretty tired. So we actually came down south, and we stayed in a hotel in Rock Springs, um, Wyoming. So we we cut up the trip then, but Rock Springs back to Canyon City was about seven hours. We got caught, as always, in Denver traffic, and then in traffic outside (laughs) of Colorado Springs. So... It was quite unnerving, but we all made it back in one piece, and that's what's important. 
Absolutely. Well, it sounds like sounds like a great trip. Oh, it really was. I can't wait to do it again next year, actually. It was quite excellent. Um, we also got to go through, I'll mention, uh, Wind River Canyon and then Big Thompson Canyon, speaking of catastrophic sedimentation. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So there was a huge flood in Big Thompson Canyon, and there was a wall of water 20 feet high that went through that canyon. And going through there, you could sort of still see the effects of it, even though the flood was a long time ago. Um, but there were a lot of people killed in that flood. And it's terrifying to think of, you know, these amount of rains and these flash floods and these canyons when you're not prepared. But talking about the hurricane remnants that came over Oklahoma and all the rain that they got and all the rain we've had out here in the West lately, you could really see the effects of a lot of flooding throughout all of Wyoming as we went through there. And then also some of these older, like the Big Thompson flood. Yeah. And that actually is, it's, we're coming up on, it was July 31st when that flood occurred in 1976. So it's, that time of year where things like that can happen. Uh, yeah, they've had a lot of rain in Wyoming. And while we were there, actually, there was some flooding that wiped out, I think, 20 houses in eastern Wyoming. So, yeah, the, it's, it's been a unique year climatologically out here in the west. So, Yeah. Well, I think we should probably, before we get too long, move in to Fun Paper Friday. Well, all Everybody's right, favorite segment. <laughs> uh John, you have no idea how much that I've talked about that penguin poop paper. It comes oh, up yep. in conversation a lot. <laughs> <laughs> People get weirded out when I start talking about the beer bottle breaking skulls paper, but... Yes, I've heard several people, we've had conversations about something. I say, you know, we had a fun paper Friday that relates to that. Exactly. So it, it's, <laughs> it really is useful to do this out of your field reading because you start seeing all these great connections it really is and even if something is funny i mean the penguin poop paper was funny but we actually had like a scientific talk about it so it was kind of neat it just i think that thing that we believe in even further is getting outside of your your own sort of field to get ideas and it's really true yeah so this week i found a paper that is called liquid ropes a geometrical model for thin viscous jet instabilities by brune et al um, and an awesome video to go with it, too. <laughs> yeah, so the title may not sound too exciting, but there is a video that we'll have in the show notes that shows what happens when you have a viscous fluid, so something like honey or syrup that's dripping on a surface, and you know, normally you would be moving the syrup bottle, but it's a lot easier experimentally to have the bottle stationary and then move a conveyor belt under it. And I don't know, Shannon, have you noticed when you're dealing with syrup or honey that you see these weird patterns when you're pouring it? Oh, yeah, sure. You get all these little loop-de-loops and stuff like that. Right. So you can actually model that and get different loop patterns depending on the velocity that you're moving the the container and how high the syrup is falling from. So now this blew my mind because I guess I just sort of assumed that this would be random, that those sort of, uh, like that behavior of the syrup when it comes out, it's just sort of a random thing. But when you, you know, put it on a belt that's moving at a constant speed, it's really predictable what shapes the syrup is going to take. Right. In fact, they call it the Fluid Mechanical Sewing Machine, or FMSM. (laughs) Which is what it looks like if anyone sews. I agree. That was what it reminded me of as well. (laughs) 
And basically what this paper did is they developed a model that was a lot simpler than some of the other models that accurately reproduces this behavior for study. So they said, you know, well, some people say inertia is what causes this. We're going to neglect inertia in the model, and we're going to do the experiment where the syrup doesn't fall very far, so it doesn't accelerate a right. lot. Uh, and it turns out it works. So inertia isn't the controlling factor. It turns out to be the shape that the heel makes. So as the fluid is coming down and getting drug away from the nozzle on the conveyor belt, the shape of that and the angle of that is what makes the shapes that you're seeing. Right. And this has, at first when I saw this, I don't really know what the applications would be, but there are a few mentioned in the article. And it's everything from trying to reproduce complex non-woven materials, like artificial sp- uh, artificial spider silk or oh. you know, things like that, to something like icing on cakes. Which you makes make- sense. Yeah, you can make really re- nice reproducible loops. Uh, but one that I wouldn't have ever dreamed of, they said they actually figured out that this would extend to elastic rather than viscous media as well. Oh. And that means that if you're on a boat and you're spooling out some kind of fiber optic cable to go on the ocean floor so that we can get internet around so everybody can watch cat videos, <laughs> then if you go too slow, you're actually going to coil the cable on the ocean floor and use excess cable and possibly break it. There's a speed that you must maintain or be above so that you get a stable straight line. This is so cool because you can see it perfectly in the video. As the as the belt is moving really fast, the stream is straight, and then as it slows down, which is what the video is, and it's really short, you should really watch it, and as it slows down, it starts to make these very predictable loops. And so when you're talking about that, I mean, you can see it perfectly. If the boat starts to slow down, now you've screwed up your cable, and what are you going to do? But, I mean, this is really reproducible, and that's an expensive application that, this, you know, that can be used so you could not screw up all your expensive fiber optic equipment just by following a certain speed. Right. And they also said that these are some of the more simple patterns that you can get. If you take the nozzle up higher and you actually do factor in inertia, you can get double resonant patterns. So like double meanders and all these really crazy things. Uh, They also figured out this new pattern. They call it the W pattern. Mm Mm-hmm which is a loose W (laughs) uh, (laughs) of alternating (laughs) loops back and forth. Uh, And they actually found out that it only happens when you are increasing the belt speed. If you're decreasing the belt speed, you totally skip that phase. So it's it's this weird conditional stability in phase space. Oh, that's really cool. This is a really neat paper that I wasn't excited about until I watched that video. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. And I also really like, this is the only paper that I can remember, if you look at figure one, that actually has the little cartoon hand <laughs> pointing at something in the figure. <laughs> I do like that quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why they put it there. You know, it needs it needs to stand out more. There's a lot of colors going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's really, it's three coupled differential equations and you can integrate them forward in time. So this is something that if you are a MATLAB person or Mathematica, Python, whatever your choice is, this is something you could code up in half an hour sitting yeah. on the couch watching TV Easily. and make all of these little things on your computer. It'd be a lot of fun. Easily, yep. 
So if you do that, you should send it to us. I, I would do it, but I will be on the road. That's right. So we're actually recording this a little bit early because Friday morning when this show releases, by the time it releases, I will already be on the road on my 15, 16 hour drive. Uh, to your nerd conference. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you guys have fun. <laughs> well, if you have any ideas for Fun Paper Friday or any videos of drizzling syrup on your pancakes, <laughs> you should send them to us along with any comments or pictures of what you're doing this summer out in the field or if you're stuck in a lab. Shannon, how could they do that? Well, they can send us their pictures, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're also on the web at www.don'tpanicgeocast.com. On Twitter, at don'tpanicgeo. John is at Geo underscore Lehman, and I am at Shannon Doolin. That's right. So remember, until next week, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. 